This morning, we're going to be talking from Ephesians here, so let's pray and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for a new year that we are here at the beginning of a new year in your house, the family of God gathered together, and uh, we stand before you, the one who is exalted like no other, who gave his life as a ransom for many. And Father, I pray that as we open the scriptures, breathed and authored by you, pray that you would speak through what has been spoken. I pray that the Spirit of the living God would enlighten the scriptures to our hearts, that they would come alive and transform us in our church, in our community, Help me to be clear and concise and to the point. And may everyone leave here saying that Jesus is awesome. In your name we pray. Amen. So 10 years ago, about 10 years ago, on April 11th, 2009, buried in a little village in Glasgow, a middle-aged woman who'd never been on a date, 47 years old, and never been kissed by a man, living with her cat, pebbles. She was starved with oxygen at birth and had learning difficulties in her life. She was contestant number 432. She was unemployed and unknown. A middle-aged woman who took the stage on the television show Britain's Got Talent. She was, even by the most generous accounts, frumpy in her appearance, awkward on stage in the personification of nervous fear. Everyone in the audience, you'll see, was against her and doubting, an ocean of doubt against her. And as she walked on center stage there, she faced a large cynical audience and a trio of judges that was chaired by the infamously famous critic, Simon Cowell. And so then she opened her mouth, unpolished, small town, seemed to be the most unpromising contestant they'd ever had. What happened was is she mesmerized the hearts of the audience and they were transformed from cynics to absolute adoring converts. And they were captivated as they listened with stunned silence. And then they erupted into thunderous ovation and a standing ovation. And every eye in the house really, as you're going to see here, was either wide with wonder or wet with inspiration. Overnight, Susan Boyle went from anonymous... No one knew who she was in an obscure little village to a YouTube sensation. And her first album became the greatest selling album in the history of the UK. And she went from unemployed to her current uh, net worth now is over $40 million. And so Susan Boyle, she took the world by storm here. And she won the hearts, not only the Brits, but really the world over here. But here's what you don't know. Here's what you don't know about Susan Boyle. At school, she was slow because of her, she had a brain, uh, her brain was affected because of her birth where she didn't have oxygen. And so she had, it's an appearance such that, and a slowness about her, that she was bullied her whole life. And so, uh, and left deep scars on her. And so when she would sing then as a member of the church choir in this tiny little village, it really was like a life raft that restored her soul. Her song restored her soul here. And it was in church then that she gathered once a week to lift up her voice. And in the midst of all of the pain of the past and all the challenges of the past, she sang who she was. And because of the challenges and difficulties and pain in life, wouldn't it be great if there was a place where we could come maybe once a week and there was a place where we could be reminded of who we are and not only be reminded of who we are, but sing 
who we are. And you realize that that is what we do every week in church. God designed this. God designed that we would gather in community, that we would come together, that we would sense God's spirit there, and he would, uh, we would sing songs of the great truths like we sang this morning here. Uh, we would sing together who we are. And so it's not enough just to hear it. We need to, to sing in here. It has to be something that we can sing so that it can go deep into your soul here. So hang on to that thought because we're going to return back to it. Welcome to a new series in Ephesians. This morning we're going to talk about the seven spiritual blessings that shape who we are, that shape our identity here. So spiritual blessings, they're yours when you follow Jesus here. And so Paul is going to say, this is who you are in Christ. And so I want you to see you have some notes there. And educators tell us that even if you just look at the notes and you follow along, you'll retain about 50% more. If you take notes, you can retain as much as 80% more than if you don't. So that's why we do that there. So why this series? Why this series? Because we get bumped around. We face challenges. We get discouraged. And here we're going to gather together over the next 12 weeks, look at God's word, and through his spirit, understand who we are, our identity. And so the title of this series is God identity, and everything else in between. So those of you that are new to church and wonder, like, well, what does it mean to be, you know, to follow Jesus? Like, what does that look like? This is a great time for you to come and jump in because you can learn about what it is going to be, and you just might want to be a follower of Christ here. So what we're going to do this morning is three things. We're going to talk about Paul. I'm going to pack a little bit about who he was. Then the second thing we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about Ephesus, where this happened. And then the third thing is we're going to actually look at Ephesians chapter 1 there. So Paul's story is this. Paul was a, a, a first century terrorist. He was a hunter of Christians. He was one who would actually kill them. He was good at what he did here. He would have been the president of the We Hate Christians Club. And he was zealous about that. When he went into churches, he cleaned house. I mean, Paul was a guy that he would kill a woman for praying to Yahweh. He was that guy. And so on his way to Damascus, Paul encountered a blinding light that knocked him down. And he hears this voice from heaven that basically says, Paul, you knock it off. Just knock it off. He was blind for three days. He was clueless there. And not only did he get a new name, but God gave him a new vision for his life there. The number one terrorist against Christianity is now on the other side. And now the hunter becomes the hunted. Paul was so radically transformed that his name is changed. So in Acts chapter 18 and 19, we have the story there. But what happens is, is that in the fourth largest city in the world, Ephesus there, things begin to buzz a little bit there. And Paul wants to take them deeper, those who were in Ephesus who, who have begun the journey to follow in the way. A little bit about Ephesus. Ephesus now is a stunning, amazing, world-class city. You can see some of the pictures of it if you look up here. It is a place where cruise ships stop today because it has arguably the greatest ruins in the world. And so cruise ships love to go there. So in Revelation chapter 2, 
Jesus talks to the church at Ephesus, and he says this. He says, hey, church at Ephesus, you guys really have it going on there. I mean, the parking lot is full, all the stuff you're doing, all the services, all the things you're doing out there in the community. He says, but you know what? Although I love all the stuff that you're doing, I just wish you included me in the stuff. My candlestick, my presence is left, and you need to return to your first love. Now, imagine you have a drone view of Paul there in prison, in a Roman prison there. God wants to communicate now to the church in Ephesus there. 20 to 25 years later, a church that Paul had pastored previously. God wants to rock the city. And how is he going to do that? So the Holy Spirit there begins to tap Paul on the shoulder and stir his heart here. And he feels that inner nudge there. And Paul reaches for a piece of paper there and begins to write a letter to the church from jail there where he was basically caged up the lowest level cage, according to church historians, where there were other cages of prisoners stacked above him. And you can only imagine the type of things that the implications that that had, the body fluids, all the things that would happen to the great apostle. But he says this, Ephesians chapter one, writing from jail, chapter one, Ephesians verse one. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are the faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Interesting, he says here, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. There he was in the will of God and how difficult it was for him to be in that cell in the will of God. Sometimes I think we think that like if we're in the will of God, it's going to be great and awesome. And it may be, but sometimes in the will of God, it's not awesome like he was there in prison. And I think what's amazing is this, is that if I was to write a letter from prison or you were to write a letter from prison, would you just be pumped up, excited, and thrilled to write about all the blessings? Would that be you? You know, imagine his scenario there. And so he doesn't write about the injustice, about being in the lower cage there for talking about Jesus. So what does he do? He doesn't talk about his wretched situation, and he doesn't let his position there in prison Uh, dictate his life, this purpose in life. So there is Paul pursuing his passion. And he writes about the spiritual blessings in Christ. And he writes about what it means to be in Christ. Now notice, watch, watch. He's not writing about like uh, his situation, not self-consumed with, let me tell you about what it's like to be in prison You know, because we all have our situations here where you might be in discouragement, or you might be in confusion, or you might be in pain, or you might be in sadness, or you might be in love, or be in success, or wherever you're at on the spectrum. But Paul here writes about what it is to be in Christ. So he says, I'm writing to God's holy people. Now, doesn't that capture how you feel about yourself, God's holy people here? In fact, some of your Bibles uh, will read saints there. And I'm sure you woke up this morning while you were eating your cornflakes or brushing your teeth and said, yeah, there's a saint right there. And so, but Paul notices and writes to them and affirms them who they are, that in Christ, as God sees them, they're whole, they're set apart, they're holy, they're faithful followers, 
I know if anybody in here struggled with faithfulness, maybe struggled with consistency, maybe you feel like you've walked away with God from God, or you've been tempted to go back to your old life there, you know, not reading your Bible or whatever. But in Christ, he says, you can be faithful here. So I want to make this really practical. There's three choices in your notes about where you land this morning. And the first one is, how do you view yourself? The first is, I'm a sinner. And I think for most of us, we actually would land there. And that is a song that has been sung over your life. And it's easy because when you look at your life, you look at your past life there, you look at the failures, the brokenness, I'm a mistake maker. If you only knew my life, I feel unwanted or a burden. I can't seem to get it right. And so for many people here, the reality is that you see your life as I'm this sinner here. I think the second group, though, that we would fall into is this, is that, yeah, the song that I'm trying to do is I'm singing that I want to do better. You know, I want to please God. I want to do good, but I'm trying to earn it there. But I really would like to just be better at this life. I think sometimes I feel that way. I feel that way personally. Thirdly here is I belong to God, and sometimes I sin. I am a saint, but I belong to God. I think that's the hardest one for us to sing. So verse 2, if you want to look at the screen, says this. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So when you come to a space of knowing God, of of knowing Christ there, you enter into really a space of, of experiencing God's grace. And because of that, you then experience God's peace there, where you have peace with God. It was a common salutation, a common Pauline salutation there. And now the next verse. This is the longest verse in the entire canon of Scripture. It's over 200 words long. Uh, What happens here is Paul writes a single sentence from verse 13 all the way to verse 14 in the Greek language. Uh, What happens is he gets like so extremely fired up so passionate about the blessings of Christ that he simply cannot hit the brakes, that he just goes crazy here, and he's just writing and writing and writing, and he doesn't slow down here. Uh, What a spectacular uh, passage. What a spectacular verse, verse 3. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united or we're in Christ here. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to punch out the seven spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And what I need you to do this morning is this. This is audience participation. What you're going to do is you're going to identify which one of those has been the old song that you've been singing, and then what would be the new song that you would want to sing here. So we're going to go through seven. You pick one that speaks of you. All right, everybody good? Everybody good in there? So he says, all praise to God. All praise to God. This is, I think, critical here because these four words give us a powerful beginning here of the blessed life. It starts with knowing God and praising him. He says, every, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. So what is a spiritual blessing? I mean, we know what material blessings are, but what is a spiritual blessing? Because spiritual blessings are invisible. Spiritual blessings, you can't see, you can't measure them, you can't weigh them, but spiritual blessings, I would argue, are the greatest blessings of your life here. He says, every 
not material, not earthly blessing, because those blessings end up where? Where do they end up? They end up on Craigslist, right? Think about it. Every earthly blessing ends up on Craigslist or future garage sales or junkyards or basically landfills. So God wants to do more than that. Spiritual blessings don't end up on Craigslist. And so uh, there are things that you can't, you can't taste, you can't touch, you can't measure. But God authors every spiritual blessing here. They cannot be obtained by human activity here. You can, there's nothing that you can do to earn these blessings. But listen to me. God's blessings, his spiritual blessings, they will radically change and transform your life. And they are available to you today. You can have them this year. And so this is what a spiritual blessing is. And it's something that your heart longs for, that you need, and that you would want. And so it says, he has blessed us. It is God. Can't deserve it. Can't earn it. It's a gift from God, his blessings here. Why? It says there, because we're united or we're in Christ here. And so... In Christ, in your notes, in Christ, I am blessed. A spiritual blessing is something you did not earn. So you can't earn them. There's no way. It's not a reward. It's not because of your activity, not because of your amazing prayer life, because you impress God, because you did a great serve experience, and the angels of heaven go, whoa, why did you see them? That's amazing what they did there. And God says, Michael, Gabriel, I think I'm going to bless. No, it doesn't work that way. There's nothing you can do to earn his blessings. And so they, become, they happen because you're united, you're, you're in Christ here. So verse 4 says this, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So the first blessing is this, that you are blessed to be chosen. You're blessed to be chosen. How many people here, you've been in your lifetime, you could raise your hand and say, I've been chosen for something that was awesome. I was just, you know, not bragging or anything, but just, I was chosen for something that was awesome and from my perspective. And then there, how many others of us, you feel like, well, I really haven't been chosen for anything awesome. Like it was down to me and the potted plant, and they said, we'll take the potted plant. You know what I'm talking about. And so, Here's what happens is that a song has been sung over our lives where we don't recognize that we're chosen. And here it is. Just, this is for some people in here. The song that's been sung over your life is that you were unwanted, like Susan Boyle, like you were unlovable, like she was undesirable here. And so you've sang a song there and Maybe you counted on somebody and they left you or they let you down. And as a result, for whatever dynamic there, the relational dynamic, you just emerged from that and you felt unwanted. And the song that you've heard, you know, maybe it's subconscious there, but it's that you're just not chosen. You're not wanted. And that can get inside of us and shape our, our identity and we live out of our identity. And so God then it says that we are chosen. We're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. I mean, before you were even born there. So there's nothing that you could do to be chosen. So God grabbed you. God who could pick anyone, picked you. Uh, and that just gives, speaks of who God is there. And so it says that you would be 
holy and without blame before him in love. In other words, when you enter into a relationship with him, Christ makes you blameless because he absorbs the hit, the blame for your sin. And so he absorbs the wrath of God in your place there. And he launched. This is what he did. He takes all of our sinfulness and then he gives us his righteousness. The Bible puts it this way that he who knew no sin became sin, that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ here. So because of what Jesus did, you're chosen. And doesn't that make you feel good that you know you're, you know you're chosen? Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Chosen to be holy and without fault. I get it. I get, you know, people hear that and they're like, you know what? That is so not me. And we push that off and that is so not me because we're comfortable singing the song, well, I'm a sinner and I'm broken and I'm damaged. If you only knew about my addictions and my past here, and you look over your life and you realize like, you know what? The song that has been constantly sung is that. Rather than the song that God would have you sing over your life if you're his follower, and that is it, Ephesians 2.8, you are his masterpiece there. You are whole, you are complete, you are holy in Christ, you are without fault there. So he goes on to say this in verse 5, you're adopted. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And check this out. This is what he wanted to do. I mean, when you're God, you can do whatever you want to do. And it gave him great pleasure. What gave him great pleasure? To adopt you. Now, now when you grasp this, this is absolutely amazing here. Because this is an intensely relational word here in the original language here, adoption. And what it means is this. It means that God, the Heavenly Father, wants to engage you such that you experience him as a good and a perfect father. That you experience him as a child that has complete access to their perfect heavenly father. So adoption in the first century was much more powerful than we think of it today. Because in Roman times, with biological children, they weren't valued in that culture. And so with biological children, you could just give them away. With biological children, you could just, I know things unthinkable, seems unthinkable, but you could just disown them in that culture. But if you adopted a child, it was altogether different. And it was impossible. It was impossible for you to ever disown a child that you adopted. So the people in, sitting in Ephesus, when they hear that you're adopted, they're mean like, you mean uh, you mean adoption, like real adoption? And they're like, yeah, that's how God thinks of you. So it was, it was like a cataclysmic paradigm shift, and they're thinking about how God related to them. But the song I believe that we, that we play in our minds and has been sung over us is like Susan Boyle. You know, you're unwanted. And so uh, you've been abandoned, you've been abused, and you're undesirable, and you're a burden, and so, uh, and we sing that song rather than the song of, I'm God's child, and I'm adopted, and I'm wanted, and I'm valuable, and I matter to God, and, and God chose me here. See, it was God's idea to adopt you. Some of us grew up, I think, with songs, you know, uh, of abandonment, of songs of being disowned there, songs of, of abuse, you're not important, or you're neg- neglected. And here's what I know to be true. 
is that those songs sung over you, sung in your mind, sung in your subconscious, those songs shape who you are, shape your identity. And that's why this is so huge and so beautiful here because in your notes, you are blessed with adoption. How awesome is that? Now, I want you to picture this. In God's family, in Christ's family, you are such a cherished, valuable member, a daughter, a son, that you have a place where you sit at God's table and he sings over you songs of adoration and songs of love. And you are his adopted child. And that is what God is like. And God becomes your good father. Your intensely personal good father, not a cosmic force, he adopts you, whereby we cry, Abba, Father here. And so your adopted dad in heaven there, whose love for you is beyond crazy, says, you are mine. I adopt you to be in my family here. I'm drafting you to be in my family. And I want you to see here how God adopted you. It says in your Bibles there, it says, God decided in advance Your adoption there decided in advance there by a dad who will never let you go. Verse 6. So we praise God for his glorious grace. He has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. You see over and over and over again, it's in Christ who belonged to his dear son there. And so grace changes everything for everybody for all time. Grace then is specifically that we are specifically chosen. Uh, We don't not only get what we don't deserve, we get God's spiritual blessings here. We just talked about being chosen as a son and daughter. And so grace says that you never have to earn his blessing. And you in your notes there are blessed with grace. So verse 7, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, and forgave our sins. Purchased our freedom. Some of your Bibles say that you are redeemed there. And have you ever got your car impounded in years past? It is a miracle of heaven that I have never had my car impounded, uh, but it's never happened, I guess. It's never happened. But it used to be that when you got your car impounded, it ended up at a redemption center. And And you had to buy your car back out of captivity because it was being held in prison, And you had to pay the ransom to purchase its freedom. And when you did that, they would stamp your receipt redeemed. And this is what Jesus has done for you. Your whole life is seen here as one of being towed into a slavery of sin here where you were stuck and someone has to pay the ransom to get you out there. And the idea and the reality of Jesus is this, is that he purchased you out of a slavery of sin there that he could set you free. I think some of you, you don't understand that. Some of you don't understand it. And so because you don't understand that, you keep singing an old song that I'm a slave to sin and sin is my master. I can't be free and I can't get it right, you know, and I could never, and I don't make good choices and I'm just a stinking slave to sin there. And that's the song which is shaping your identity here. God wants you to have a new song. I am no longer a slave to sin. I'm a child of God. I am loved. I'm set free. Sin is no longer my master. And we really need to embrace 
the new song that I am blessed. And here's what's amazing is Jesus paid it all. So it's not about number two, trying harder. It's about trusting and believing in him. So in your notes there, you are blessed with forgiveness. Blessed with forgiveness. Why? With the blood of his son. Washed by Jesus' blood, watch, who climbed the tree of death so that we could experience the tree of life. That's what he's done for you. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God so we could be forgiven here. So that your past doesn't have to define you anymore and live under its shadow. Verse 8, if you want to look up at the screens there. And he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. It says that we're blessed with wisdom and blessed with understanding. Anybody in the house could use a little wisdom for 2019. Come on. And so, you know why this is so important? When I look back on my own life, say 18 to 25 there, I made a lot of decisions. I made a lot of critical uh, trajectory-defining life-impacting decisions at that stage of my life. And, and I was a Christ follower, but I can remember many times, you know, praying and wanting what I wanted and, uh, and asking for this. And, and it was so critically important to me there. And there were many prayers that God never answered. And I'm so glad that he didn't hear. Because when I reflect on it, I was wrong at least 50% of the time up to maybe 80% of the time. And I was a Christ follower, and I was serious about it, but I was wrong so much of the time there. And so I'm so glad that one of the spiritual blessings is this, is wisdom and understanding is given freely to you. That alone will change your life. And even as I've gotten older, a lot older, and gotten so wise... I keep track of my decisions, and I'm still wrong a good 50% of the time. Even now that I'm older, I have this different perspective, and I've lived life and all. I'm still wrong so much of the time here. And imagine if you got everything you wanted, it would ruin your life there. I mean, if you could wake up one day and have everything you wanted, you should stay in bed because it would wreck your life. And so, uh, so even when you know what you want, even when you think you know what is right, here's the deal. You don't know the future. You don't know what the future holds there. So you don't even know what's best for you. But there is God, all knowledge and wisdom, who the Bible says, if anyone lacks wisdom, just ask God. And here we're told in Ephesians, the spiritual blessing. He gives us wisdom and understanding. God is good, isn't he? How good is that? And so verse 9. And God has revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fill his own good plan. I love that Jesus has his own plan. It's bigger than my plan here. And he's working out, Paul said in Romans 8, working out everything according to the purpose of his own plan there. And so you say, well, you know what? What about my decisions and where does that factor in here? Yes, you have a will. And yes, you make decisions. And yes, those decisions matter. But in the great scheme of the, the, God's purpose there, he has a plan for your life, and he works out all things after the purpose of that plan there. So God has a plan. Verse 10 through 14. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And furthermore, 
Because again, here we're united with Christ, we're in Christ, we've received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan, giving you the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised, that he has purchased us to be his own people, and he did this so we would praise and glorify him. Quickly in your notes, because we're out of time, you are blessed with an inheritance here. In Christ, you have, you have the inheritance of Christ, an eternal inheritance in eternity. And then you are blessed with the Holy Spirit. Finally, when you're in Christ, you get all of God. You get the Holy Spirit. It means one who comes alongside you to help you. And God knows how we need help here. So we have the Holy Spirit. Maybe you experience the Holy Spirit in moments of worship there where you sense that God is, is real and glimpses where you, you just feel his, the, the reality of him there. And so we're in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. God lives in the child of God through the Spirit of God for all time and eternity. So let me say this in closing. Let me say this. Who are you? What is your identity? When you look at your life, which one of those seven relates to you? Do you or doesn't relate to you? Do you feel like, you know, that sense of you're chosen, that you're adopted and loved by God? Do you sense you're graced by God, that uh, you're blessed with wisdom and understanding and given you an inheritance or his Holy Spirit there? And how is it that you get every spiritual blessing? How does it happen? What do you have to do? You just have to be what? What do you have to do? You have to be, I've told you about six times. I've told you, you should know this. You, you are in Christ. Thank you. And so, and how do you get to be in Christ? You just believe in him. You trust in him. Some of you need to do that this morning. It means to put the full weight of everything uh, that you are into Christ and trust him. So I want to close with this. So when we gather together, if you could go behind the scenes and you could see me, I'm not just trying to do a sermon I'm not just trying to do a lecture. I'm not just trying to do a Bible study. It may be some of elements of those things. But what I really want, and I don't, it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. What I aim for is that I have a message that I'll be able to hear from God. And I can hear God's voice for you. That's my ultimate every week. Again, it doesn't happen every week, but that's my ultimate and so I'm preparing for this morning. I felt like I heard God's voice. What I felt like I heard was, was this. I felt like God's voice to me was this. Was Rod, tell them. Tell them I want to give them a new song. There's old songs that they've been singing, but I want to give them a new song. I said, Lord, whatever you want me to say, I'll, I'll say. So perhaps you need to hear this morning, you're not trying to be loved, but you are loved. You're not trying to be chosen, but you are chosen. You're not trying to be adopted, but you are adopted. You're not trying to be forgiven. You, 
you are forgiven. You're not trying to receive the Holy Spirit. You already have. And here's the best news. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, it does. Because who can have every spiritual blessing? Everyone. Everyone. No no philosophy, no religion ever teaches this. What do they teach? That you have to be good enough, moral enough, mistake-free enough, good enough. You have to have it together enough. Otherwise, you don't qualify. But here for the spiritual blessings, you don't have to qualify any way other than you are in Christ and, and you are his. And so the question I have for you is this. What was the song that was sang over you or that you sang this last week here or the last month or the, or the last year, maybe the last decade? If you could just pick one, they're in your notes when you leave, just to pick one there, no overachievers, no two or three, just pick one there. And here they are. Which song has been sung over your life? I'm not good enough. I'm disqualified. I'm not forgiven. I'm unwanted. I'm overlooked. I'm damaged. I'm a burden to others. I'm unworthy. I'm unaccepted. I'm an outsider. I'm a failure. What song have you been singing this week? An unknown woman living in obscurity with brain damage, bullied as a child, never kissed by a man in her adult life. She sang songs in a church choir that shaped who she was and who she became. Perhaps this morning you need to begin to sing a new song here to not be so quiet about it, guys, and lift your voice or lift it a little louder here. And sing about what you wish would be true of you, that I am loved and I am chosen, I am wanted, I'm adopted, I'm forgiven, I'm accepted, I'm set free. And the reality is that we all need to sing a new song, don't we? We need to sing a song.